Assalamu alaikum everybody. So this is a new setup for us today. Um, oops, I'm tangled. One second. Okay, so welcome interactive group. Welcome everyone here. Um, this is exciting for us because you get to see some of the progress of um, the library getting unpacked out of boxes and um, bookcases getting built. So the students have been really busy aside from the um, from the study and the halakas and the you know meeting um, for groups on reflection and dhikr and things like that. Um, also, you know we have the um, the wonderful. Um, unpacking of the library and so this room where we're in now we are surrounded by um, chronic tafsir so hopefully you know we, we wanted to kind of change the setup so we have the blessing of the books around us and um, it's very exciting so um, we I wanted to at, at some point if you could please um, mute your um, microphones on the interactive so that would be helpful um, so I just wanted to say um, uh, just a, a couple of things. I'd, I'd like to just share short stories that um, I hope are helpful, just minor reflections. Um, and maybe I've um, shared this before, but um, you know, this has been such a powerful experience, even for those of us who are not um, intensively studying, because um, you know, getting to know the Quran and thinking about how it applies to your life and how it can make you a better person. Um, I mean, there, you know, as the Sheikh has said, if knowing the Quran and the meaning, meaning of our faith does not make you a better person, then there's really no point. I mean, you know, for me, this is not a theoretical exercise to just know more about what one word means or another, but it's really to think about, you know, how can I improve as a person and how can I improve my relationships with people um, that are around me? And also, how can I think even more globally about, you know, what is my responsibility to, you know, my, my world, to my community, um, and how can I make a difference? And um, you know, one of the things that was very powerful for me that I thought from Surah Al-Tur the other uh, last week um, was the whole idea of um, what is your anchor? Um, what is your house? How do you build your you know build your house? Like what's important to your world? And what is your ceiling? Which is what do you aspire to? And the, you know, the message was clear from what we were learning that, you know, if God is your anchor and your house is um, organized by how you serve God and your aspirations or your ceiling is also how you serve God, that's a very powerful model for, um, you know, how to be a Muslim that is really always mindful of God and always trying to improve um, and add goodness to the world. And so the... Little story is that, you know, oftentimes people who meet the professor and I um, probably think, you know, they might not always comment, but um, wonder, like, how did these two very unlikely people come together, and how do they stay together, considering they came from very different backgrounds. I mean, I grew up in California, you know, I was very much the California girl, um, did, you know, was really focused on material things, you know, went to Berkeley, was part of a sorority, you know, I mean, there's a whole, like, story of my trajectory from where I started. And, of course, the professor grew up in Egypt and Kuwait and had a completely different upbringing, grew up in the Halakas, you know, it's like two more unlikely people could not have come together. But I think when, um, when people get to know us, I think they recognize that when you start thinking about the anchor, the house, the ceiling, 
um, when those things are aligned, then all of the culture, the ethnicity, the upbringing, the life experience, um, you know, how the, the role models for your parents, I mean, everything that shaped you as a person becomes much more secondary because your aspiration and where you place your value system and, your and, and what you want to achieve and leave behind in this life become aligned. And so even though it's, a, it's you know, always hard to be married to another person, when those things are aligned, I think they become a million times easier because they're, um, they're the clear star and guide um, for, you know, your relationship, but also for you as an individual, you know, as, as your own, you know, personhood, um, how you want to elevate and achieve, um, you know, in my, in my mind, success with God. I mean, that's more important than any of the material successes that you could achieve in this life. So that has been a real source of um, strength and comfort, and I just wanted to share that reflection. So I'm very excited for um, today. We're going to cover Surah Al-Kath, and um, thank you for joining us again um, as we are now embarking on the two stories a week, which is quite quite demanding. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalam ala Muhammad. خاتم النبيين المرسل رحمة للعالمين على آله وأصحابه ما تبعوا بإحسان إلا يوم الدين ومشرح لي صدر السلين سورة قاف إن شاء الله ويصير there is going to be a lot that, that we have to go over and cover with Surah Qaf. Surah Qaf was revealed in the heart of the Meccan period, uh, clearly revealed after a surah like Al-Muzammil and Al-Muddassir and Al-Fatiha. Um, evidence is pretty convincing that it was revealed after Al-Mursalat. But before surah like Yasin and Al-Furqan, which we discussed, um, also before Al-Tariq or Al-A'raf, the evidence is that it was in order of revelation um, number 32, 33, 34, something like that. Around after a series of the short sur, we get Surah Qaf, which itself is um, not a very long surah but definitely a, a, a bit longer than, than for instance, of Tariq or Qulullahu Ahad and so on, Ikhlas. So, and it is before uh, Al-Ma'raj, so Al-Isra' Al-Ma'raj, um, likely also before the migration to Abyssinia, by some Muslims, 
So it is one of the anchoring surah. It is a surah that it sets out, as we will see, in a very powerful, rhythmic, beautiful language. Uh, truly musical language. The foundations for, for Muslim belief and the foundations for the convictions of a Muslim. And it starts out which, with something rather unusual, and that is a single letter, Qaf. There are Surat Sad that starts out with a single letter, and Noon that starts out, there's a surah that starts out with noon, and then this surah which starts out with kaf. So, and that, of course, then, it begs the question of what does kaf mean in this context? And especially in relation to what will follow after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just notes that single letter. It's unusual because the surah, the surah, by by beginning with kaf and demanding that we reflect on that single letter will engage us in a heavy reflective process from the very beginning of the surah. So before we even get anywhere to understand Qaf wal Quran al-Majid, that Allah begins with a single letter and then immediately describes or swears by the Quran itself with all its glory and all its wisdom and all its beauty. Okay. So, one of the most amazing thing is the amount of material in the Islamic tradition that has been written about the single letter Qaf and the surah beginning with Qaf. And usually I start out these halakas at a um, softer pace and then I pick up as we go to greater intensity. With this surah we sort of jump into the intensity right away because of um, that letter and the amount of material that have been written about Qaf and the beginning of the surah. Okay, so I'm going to go through as many of them as I could remember um, There are 
many reports, most of them go back to Ibn Abbas, that say that Qaf was believed to be a mountain that runs through the earth. There was an old belief that there's a mountain that encircles the earth. There was an even old belief that there is a mountain in Barzakh known as the mountain of Qaf. And many of these reports that go back to Ibn Abbas tell us, well, Qaf is a reference to that mountain. Although this reference or this interpretation of Qaf, um, you find in a lot of the um, uh, literal tafsir, uh, that is not the most accepted position. And is not the, there are many reasons why um, it, it's doubtful that that's what Qaf means. But for accuracy's sake, it is important to note that, you know, there, there were a lot of mythology about that mountain that's supposed to either go around the entire earth or the mountain that is supposed to be in, uh, um, in the world of Barzakh, um, an unseen mountain. Uh, but we could say that what most, the, the, there's a lot of doubt about the authenticity of these reports. Many of them don't go back to the Prophet ﷺ directly. It's reports that are marfu'a. So they're missing some serious links in the attribution and so on. So if it's not the mountain, so what is it? What's fascinating is in, pre, is in the letter Qaf itself, in pre-Islamic poetry, there is a famous love poem. Um, I, I don't, I couldn't remember it, the exact words, but uh, a man is talking to his beloved, and he tells her to come to him, and she says in response, "Cough." And we know from poetry such as this that "cough" was a common expression in pre-Islamic Arabia to mean stop and take note. So it's interesting that while in Mudassar and in Muzammir, for instance, the initial command is get up and take off to deliver the message. Here, the surah begins with like a pause a serious pause. It's like saying to someone at the beginning of delivering a speech, stop what you're doing and listen carefully. So many, many noted that cough in this context um, was a known reference to telling someone cease stop, pay attention, because what will come is very serious. The speech that will be delivered is very serious. However, there is another 
meaning to that letter Kaf that is fascinating, it also coming out of the Romantic context. Kaf could be a reference to the heart of a beloved. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with Qaf and says Wal Quran in Majid, is Allah saying the only way to access this Quran is by fully opening the gates to your heart. Many commentators insisted that the heart that is being referenced in Surah Qaf is the heart of the Prophet Muhammad It is as if like a, like the, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the surah by telling Muhammad, I know what's in your heart. I am fully aware of what you, is in your heart. And especially that later on in the surah when Allah says that Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein, for many of these commentators, it made perfect sense Since much of the Quran is addressed to us through the Prophet Muhammad, often consoling and comforting and encouraging and strengthening and empowering the Prophet Muhammad. So they argued also referencing other evidence that we don't need to get into, that it is the heart of the Prophet Muhammad specifically. However, many said, no, it is not necessarily just the Prophet Muhammad's heart, or not even primarily the Prophet Muhammad's heart. Kaf is a letter that would reference a state of qurb, a state of nearness. And in that sense, when Allah starts the surah with a single letter, Qaf, Allah is referring to especially in Sufi literature, what they saw, what they would describe as that Allah is alerting us that this Quran, this Majid Quran, this, this glorious, magnanimous, beautiful, singular Quran can only be accessed by the heart of those who seek nearness to it. But not only that, but that it can be accessed through a set of what they call maqamat. Maqamat are steps or stages. Each maqam is a stage of nearness that unlocks 
secrets of the Quran that would otherwise be unavailable. I will say more about the maqamat in a second, but I, I just remembered also another report about Qaf that is worth mentioning. That, that Qaf was sometimes used as a form of swearing by the honor of something. And for interpreters who found that this view is the strongest, they said that Allah is swearing by Allah's self when Allah says, begins the surah with Qaf. Qasam wa and so on. The, the language would basically say that it, Qaf is is swearing by the prime, by the eternal and primordial, the the one who has no beginning and no end, um, and that it is a reference to the reality, to the fact that Allah is the 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 it of all its the the origin of all origins the first cause of every cause okay so i'm going to say more about the maqamat in, in a second because it's it's often occur the discussion is sparked by the single letter and again, in in in, um, in knowing our tradition, and in understanding the full richness that the Quran inspired in people, it is important to get exposure to this at some level. There is a professor. His name is Al Bakali. Let me see if I, who has some very beautiful things to say about Al-Qaf. And I wanted to, for the benefit at least of some of you, to uh, just share some of that, if I can find them. Where are you? I hate computers. So it's not created to use computers. Okay, maybe it's a, um, Okay, so here's, I'm just gonna uh, read it in Arabic and then summarize it. فهو خبر عن جميع الذات والصفات المشتمل على حكميات الأفعال المقدسة عن ثغائر الأزمنة والظهور 
وكشف بيان ما يقع للأرواح العارفين وأسرار الواصلين وقلوب المحبين وعقود الصديقين وصدور المقربين ظاهره ظاهر البيان من حيث العبودية وباطنه باطن العيان من حيث الربوبية وحرف القاف كناية عن كل اسم فيه القاف مثل القديم والقادر والباقي والقيوم والقوي والقاهر والمقتدر والقريب أي بقربي من قلوب العارفين وقرب أرواحهم وأسرارهم من مشاهدة بقائي وقدمي وبقصد كل ذي قصد بنعت الإرادة والشوق إلى مشاهدتي وأيضا أي بقيامي على كل ذرة من العرش إلى الثرى وبقيامهم بقيومتي إلى الأبد وأيضا أي بالقلم القادري الذي رقم القرآن على أوراق لوح الملكوت وأيضا أي بحرق قلوب العاشقين والشائقين والمشتاقين إلى جناري والقرآن الذي يشوقهم إلى قربي ويشوقهم إلى قربي وأيضا أي بقصب الاستفائية لأنبيائي وأوليائي المقربين في سوابق علوم قدري أنا أقرب إلى قروب الفرارين مني من عروق قلوبهم أكشف بكشف جمالي قصاوة قلوبهم وأقربهم مني حتى يشتاقوا إلي أيضا بقرب بقربك مني يا يا محمد يا قرة عيون الأنبياء. So what he's saying is that قاف must be understood in reference to الذات الإلهية to Allah's self and there are a group of divine attributes that begin with that letter with the letter Qaf for instance Al-Qadr Al-Qadir Al-Qadim Al-Qahir Al-Qahar Al-Qarib Al-Qabid Al-Qadi Al-Quddus Al-Quyum and we here just focus on Al-Quyum and Al-Quddus some of the most um, I'll say powerful names of Allah, because Quddus, the 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 most holy of holies, and Al-Qayyum, the sustainer of everything, and Qaf. In this view, is a key to the realization of the meanings of Allah's names and divine attributes. And also at the same time, a reference to the qalb, to qulub al-ashiqeen, to the lovers of Allah, and their desire for nearness, and their desire to have full access to the meaning of al-qadr, al-qahir, al-qarib, the near, al-quddus, Al-Qayyum in, in order, other words to have the veils between them and the divine lifted so they can understand the magnanimity magnanimity and glory of Allah's beautiful attributes so in the Islamic tradition, 
as we said, on one hand, you have those who said Qaf refers to a mountain, and it's not very likely that that's supported, but anyway. Of course, there are those who said, well, we don't know what Qaf means, but it, it, while this could be uh, defensible, for instance, in the letters where the Quran starts out with three letters or five letters, it's very different in the case of a surah starting with Qaf or a surah starting with Sad, inshallah, as we'll see, or a surah starting with Nun, a single letter. Because a single letter in the Arabic language, not all letters, but particular letters, had a great deal of meaning. So on the one hand, those who said, it's like a, a reference to a mountain, and on the, on the other spectrum of things, those who said that it is in reference to the truth of divinity, and the fact that the truth of the divinity is only attained by the heart of the lover. The heart of the lover. Now, in this context, you often find discussions about the maqamat, the stages of attainment. For the lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you love Allah and you want to attain a state in which Allah becomes to you a fully conscious reality, in which you become, as we saw in Surah Al-Turut or Tawr, in the eye of Allah, they often talk about 12 stages. Incidentally, there is, there is a great deal, in the same way that we talked about the number 19 when we talked about the Mudathir having a whole spectrum of meaning, the number of 12 in the context of Qaf has a great deal of significance. The number of letters in La ilaha illallah is 12. The number in, of letters in Muhammad Rasulullah is 12. And it is reported that the maqamat, the stages to the attainment of understanding and nearness to the Quddus and Qayyum and Qadr are also 12. What are these 12? I'm going to just list them in Arabic first and then try to translate. Therefore, they're the following. Al-Yaqeen, Al-Sidq, Al-Sabr, Al-Sakina, Al-Waqar, Al-Hilm, Al-Ilm, Al-Ra'fa, Al-Rahma, Al-Hayba, Al-Sa'ada, Al-Karama. So, Al-Yaqeen, belief and certitude. Al-Sidq, truth truthfulness in 
your conduct and attainments, as-sabr, perseverance and patience, as-sakina, tranquility in your affairs, that you fight anxiety and control your anxiety, al-waqar, dignity in the way that you carry yourself, even when you are alone by yourself. Uh, in, 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 if you study uh, the maqamat of attainment, um, a human being that doesn't respect himself cannot have dignity, cannot have waqar. You have to learn to respect yourself and expect respect from others. Al-hilm. Al-hilm uh, means... Um, like being patient, but with a great deal of kindness and compassion. That you're not just patient in the sense that you put up with things, but you are patient with understanding and empathy towards others. Al-ilm, seeking knowledge. Al-ra'fa, kindness in all your affairs. Ar-Rahma, mercy and compassion in everything. Al-Hayba, being in full regard and awe of the authority and reality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As-Sa'ada, as you rise in these maqamat, you learn that true happiness, happiness, is to be close to Allah. And anyone that tells you, I'm close to Allah, but I am an unhappy person, then know that they're not close to Allah. Those who are close to Allah attain a sense of happiness that cannot be understood by those who have not gone or pursued the path. And a karama, honor, honor in everything. What does an honorable person do? With all that it implies, you know, an honorable person doesn't cheat, doesn't deceive, doesn't lie, doesn't trick people, doesn't compete with people, the whole set of things. So it's Like Imam Tustari says that cough is like the invocation of something that you peel. And you peel the maqamat of a qurb lillah. Notice that how often we're mentioning qurb, qayyum, quddus, all of that. That you are peeling the maqamat of a qurb lillah, liqalb al-muhib, for the heart of the lover until the lover can attain a beloved status. Now, if you look at like the translation that I have here, and tell me if, like, the, the translation basically says, Qaf, the letter Qaf, are one of the miracles of the Quran, and none but Allah knows their meanings. Uh, any, anyone else? Has, does it say anything else in your tafsir? 
This is uh, Muhammad Muhsin Khan and Muhammad Taqiddin al-Hilali. Does all of your tafsirs say basically the same thing? Yeah. I mean, of course, it, the, uh, it's unfortunate because as we'll see, this is interlinked, intimately interlinked to the full meaning of Surah Qaf. I mean, in, in engaging in what, the, in what Qaf represented in the Arabic language, uh, the full scope of what it represented is important for being reasonably aware of what the surah is talking about. Um, there is, I, I'm just going to note this, um, there is several sources that argued that Qaf, referencing again pre-Islamic poetry, that Qaf was often used in the Arabic language to, as a reference to Aqr, the intellect. And as you might guess, that especially for the Mu'tazila, um, that mattered a great deal. And they said, and it's an interesting debate that goes on in this tradition, that no, the Qur'an is unattainable to someone who has not developed and does not work on developing and purifying their intellect. And that's what Qaf is a reference to. It's uh, less common than, than the sort of Sufi-esque orientation, but nevertheless, it's, it's you know, you find it, I've mentioned quite often in the tradition. So with all the mysteries of that first letter, Qaf, I tend to think that it does refer to qulub al-arifin or to the hearts of the seekers of the divine. And that it does refer to attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like qadir, qahir, qudus, qulyum. That without disciplining the heart and opening the heart, it is impossible to have any sense of what these attributes mean. Well, Quran al-Majid, and this glorious, honorable Quran. Now, Majid, linguistically in this context it doesn't just refer to um, uh, an honorific status that the Quran, the Quran has an honorific status granted to it by Allah but when you say in this uh, Quran al-Majid means the Quran of eternal wisdom 
after this opening salvo, where it grabs your attention to pause, to take note, this is a Quran that is accessible to you if you are fully conscious of yourself and actively open up your heart to it. It talks about, it implies something that the Prophet Muhammad and the early Muslims are confronting, but also to an eternal reality. The reaction of human beings is that they will be in a in a state of wonder but here ajab or when you say ajibu it's not just the wonder but they are nearly in a state of shock or disbelief, shocked disbelief, that there is a prophet sent from their midst, sent from Arabia, sent from Mecca. Remember that prophets that the Bible notes are largely prophets that come from the Mediterranean area. Um, and Iraq. But while the Quran notes prophets like Saleh, uh, prophets of Arabia, within the context of the Abrahamic tradition, yeah, you're surprised. People are in, in, in want to disbelief that a prophet could come from a region especially a prophet that doesn't belong to the Israelite line of prophets. This, of course, now it's something that to us largely forgotten, but at the time, there was a, the Jews and Christians insisted that Allah only sends prophets from the Israelite line. Although Moses, by the way, was not an Israelite, but that's... That's a different thing. But that, that claim and the idea that well, Allah doesn't favor that line of prophets solely, exclusively, could it be? So that's one thing. But more fundamentally and more basically is the continuing human tendency to disbelief that if we die and disintegrate, that there could be a continuation to the story. Are we really going to come back? Is it really conceivable? Isn't this just a big vacuum and absolute silence after death? And as Surat Qaf comes to insist after this pause, 
and after that appeal to your heart that no wake up it is not the final thing and there isn't a vacuum in fact a lot the story begins after death as we will see this is a far return. Rajon Baid, it's a, it's a, a, a amazing expression. It's like it's it, here it's it's translated as a far return, but it, it really means um, it's very doubtful. It means this is highly unlikely. It can't really be. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that inside of us we think, listen, you know, so many people came to this world, were born and died. And over centuries, and no one is really keeping track. How could it be that anyone is really keeping track? There are bodies all the time. You know, a few people get noticed by history, but the vast majority live and die, and they don't matter. The Quran comes and specifically addresses this and says, قَدْ عَلِمْنَا مَا تَنْقُصُ الْأَرْضُ مِنْهُ وَعِنْدَنَا كِتَابٌ حَفِيظٌ If you think that just because you decay and disintegrate, that there is no track of you, means we know who decomposes in this earth, who is taken, literally, it's a very powerful picture, who this earth consumes, who this earth takes, and it's all kept in an absolute record with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we'll see, part of the building block of Surah Qaf was, as I've noted in so many khutbahs and so many halaqahs, among the strongest systems of beliefs for human beings is that not all people matter. In the old systems of belief, those who are nobility and those who are aristocracy and those who are royalty are by divine right The rich matter in the sense that they matter for history, they matter for law, they matter for economics, they matter for everything, the wealthy. But the poor are the countless face faceless masses that don't matter. You can use them to build the pyramids and they perish and no one keeps track. You can use them to fight wars and they perish and no one keeps track. You can use them to 
as slaves and they perish and no one keeps track. They don't matter. Part of the paradigm shift of Surah Qaf is that it challenged that system of belief by coming and saying, well, as we will see in a second, every single human being has a designated overseer, an, an, an angelic designated overseer, and perhaps more, as we'll talk about. And Allah keeps track of every single human being. So the idea that people perish as if they've never mattered is overthrown. Now, in our modern age, you know, we, 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 that idea doesn't shock us as much. But absolutely, in the medieval age, it was an absolute shocker. You mean these people, these faceless masses that built the pyramids and perished or that dug the irrigation ditches or the, the, the peasants that, do, that farm all these lands and fiefdoms and so on, you mean someone is keeping track of whether they live and die? It was an, a paradigm shift. But you know what? I'm not convinced that we are actually over that system of belief. I mean, look at our affairs. If you are born in a certain race, in a certain country, you are born with a set of entitlements and expectations. But if you are born in a different race and a different country, you are the faceless masses that don't matter. You know, I was just recently reading an article, a very painful article, about how right after World War II, just as the, the UN was passing the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, and of course Palestinians were being kicked off their lands and masses of Palestinians were, were, were slaughtered and rent, turned into refugees. As the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was passed. But at the same time, there was a rebellion in Madagascar against French colonialism. And the French colonialists slaughtered in one of the most brutal genocides, when you read the accounts, they're horrific. You know, just rapes and, and torture and slaughter. A hundred thousand human beings. At the same time that Europe and France was passing the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, until today, France has not as much as acknowledged this, of course, France also killed millions in Algeria and, and North Africa and so on. But it is just remarkable. And the people who were slaughtered in that genocide, while the French ha have complete documentation of the 500 
French citizens that ki were killed in the rebellion in Madagascar against French colonialism, no one has a record of the 100,000 that were slaughtered by the French. Then, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, that's in the 40s. But you know what? The same deal in Iraq. We have a meticulous record of every American who lost their life in Iraq. But over a million Iraqis were slaughtered. No one has a record of them. No one. So either you're going to accept that Allah keeps the record, Allah knows, and every human being matters, or you're going to accept that insidious thesis that just because you were born in the United States or in Europe or Singapore, or I don't know, or Israel, then you have a right to an education and you have a right to your feelings and you have a right to your tastes and you have a right to your consumption patterns. But thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of people in the rest of the world don't matter. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes and tells you, قَدْ عَلِمْنَا مَا الْأَرْضُ مِنْهُمْ We know every single person that existed on this earth and literally that vanished on this earth. People often say, well, why does Islam make a difference? So much of what I teach is exactly designed to show you how Islam makes a difference. If you want real Islam, every human being would matter. Would matter fully and completely and totally. Because every human being, as the Quran will tell us, every human being, not just the kings, not the Trumps, not the Bidens, not the aristocracy, not those who live in Park Avenue, not those who live in Beverly Hills, not those who are privileged, every human being is worth an angel assi assignment, as we'll see. It's remarkable. I mean, it's a paradigm shift. You can't say, I don't, if you say, I don't know if I'm worth anything, you've offended God. Because Allah gave you your worth. That is why suicide is a big deal in Islam. Because you're effectively telling God, no, I don't know. You say I matter. I'm worth a lot, but I say I don't. وَعَنْدَنَا كِتَابٌ حَفِيظٌ A meticulous record of every human being. بَلْ كَذَّبُوا بِالْحَقِّ لَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ فَهُمْ فِي أَمْرٍ مَرِيجٍ أَفَلَمْ يَنْظُرُوا إِلَى السَّمَاءِ فَوْقَهُمْ كَيْفَ بَنَيْنَاهَا وَزَيَّنَّاهَا وَمَا لَهَا مِنْ فُرُوجٍ وَالْأَرْضَ مَدَدْنَاهَا وَأَلْقَيْنَا فِيهَا رَوَاسِي وَأَنْبَتْنَا فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ زَوْجٍ بَهِيجٍ تَبْصِرَةً وَذِكْرَى لِكُلِّ عَبْدٍ مُنِيبٍ Language is unbelievable. So, 
they, this is verse 5, they denied the truth, or they deny the truth. Even after it's been revealed to them. I want to see the, just the, the translation for Amr and Marij. It's, uh, But they have denied the truth when it has come to them, so they are in a confused state, cannot differentiate between right and wrong. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating because the language, again, it's the power of the language that they deny the truth that has come to them. Fi amrin marij means the maraj is a state where you keep changing your mind back and forth because you are not anchored in anything. So, if I like you some days and don't like you other days, I am in a state of maraj. Um, it, moodiness is a state of maraj. You know, if one one second you're happy, another second you're down, that's maraj. Um, if I can't make up my mind whether I like my job, I'm in a state of murder. So, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes these people as fi amri marij, means they might have flashes where they see it, but they're fundamentally confused human beings. They're fundamentally, it's like being uprooted. You're, you're, you're unstable. Because you're, you just don't allow yourself to conceptualize that there is a God that keeps track of everyone and that everyone will be resurrected and that that God doesn't forget anyone. None of the people that have been born on this earth will escape Allah's attention. And so that is why then in Surah Qaf immediately Allah refers to Allah's creation. So Allah says, you know, look at the heavens, look at the sky. How could that sky, this heavens that you see above you, been built except with a divine creator who constructed it according to careful laws and a careful process of construction. And look at the earth and the miracle of life on earth and how things grow seemingly out of nothing you know rain falls and we start seeing plants sprout while we are not don't 
keep full account. Of course, modern science now can analyze soil and do things like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that Allah knows every seed and where it is on the face of this earth. A, a difference between a God, and let me again restate it because of how critical it is. A God who's not really interested in the intricacies of creation, but God who is interested in its chosen people and their plight. People who've been enslaved by the Persians, they remained in a state of enslavement in Persia for many years, then eventually they are attain a level of freedom and disperse in the world, but the attention of the God is always with these people. In Christianity, the attention of the God are for those who accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I've sent my son, my son suffers, my son sacrifices for you, if you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you're in my eye and heart. If not, I'm not really involved with the intricacies of life on earth. In the Quran, as we will see, there is an emphasis which at the time people understood was very much in contradiction to the other Abrahamic religions that existed at the time. That, no, you have a fully engaged God and a God who is fully engaged with all human beings from the moment of birth to the moment of death and afterwards. And as I keep emphasizing, it was an epistemological and revolution in the way people understood things and saw things. So, a reference to nature, and basically it's like saying, well, do you, do you think the one who can create such a complex life, all the realities of life you see, do you think it's really a big deal for, for that God? to keep track of everyone who was born and everyone who died and to the re resurrect everyone that has existed. This is verse 8. And the reason I pause at verse 8 is because of its influence in the Islamic tradition. A reminder to every believer who returns to Allah in repentance. This is how it's translated here. A reminder, Munib is not someone just who turns to Allah for repentance. But it is someone whose frame of reference is Allah. So if you are constantly 
reflecting upon the one and only, that's Abunib. If you're constantly referring back to Allah as your anchor, that's Abdunib. If you're constantly repenting, that's Abdunib. So the expression تَبْصِرَةً وَذِكْرًا لِكُلِّ عَبْدٍ مُنِيبٍ You know, there are certain Quranic phrases that create a culture. And this is one of these Quranic ayat that, that in, in a very powerful ways, constructed Muslim culture. That so when we constantly say things like insha'Allah or masha'Allah or mabruk or these are all Islamic influences upon our culture, the way we reference things, the way we talk about things, or even when we say something that we like and we say Allah, Allah means you know, how, how beautiful. It is remarkable how the Quranic language constructs a linguistic practice, a cultural practice. Tazkiratan wa dhikra likulli abdin munib. Your relationship to creation and existence. Is a relationship in which you should be in a relationship of inaba. Where Allah is constantly your reference point. وَنَزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً مُبَارَكًا فَأَنْبَتْنَا بِهِ جَنَّاتٍ وَحَبِّ الْحَصِيدٍ وَالنَّخْلَ بَاسِقَاتٍ لَهَا طَلْعٌ نَضِيدٌ رِزْقًا لِلْعِبَادُ وَأَحْيَيْنَا بِهِ بَلْدَةً مَيْتًا كَذَلِكَ الْخُرُوجِ So, goes back again to nature and a reference to the growth, again, the imagery that is close to the Arabs of the time, but a reference to life and itself the the thing to note here is that in Surah Qaf and, and as will be repeated in later Surah alerting human beings that in the same way that Allah allows life to exist so will be resurrection that if you are puzzled by the, the mysteries of resurrection, for Allah, it's exactly like the way vegetation grows, out, you know, after rainfall. Um, there is a, 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 you know, for, for this mattered for a lot of theologians who said that, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you, when, upon resurrection, you are effectively recreated. Why does this matter? I mean, this is sort of silly, but 
I, I was once in a, in a, giving a lecture in an Islamic center. I don't even remember which one. Maybe Ohio? Was it in Ohio? I don't know. Uh, anyway, so uh, the, the question of organ donations came up. And it was Ohio? Oh, yeah, so... Uh, and then, uh, so I, I, I told people that, no, you, you, I encourage them to, to, to do the good deed of donating organs. And there was a big objection to what I said because they, they said, well, if you donate your organs, then how are you going to be resurrected in the hereafter? Isn't that going to be confusing because you've shared, you know, the same organ has been shared by other, by another human being. And I realized that what these folks thought resurrection is, is that Allah will literally like collect your dust particles that belong to you and put them back together again. That, that's not true. It, it, it is a recreation, which is nothing for Allah's Peloton. Okay. كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ قَوْمُ نُوحٍ وَأَصْحَابُ الرَّسِّ وَثَمُودُ وَعَادٌ وَفِرْعَوْنُ وَإِخْوَانُ لُوطٍ وَأَصْحَابُ الْأَيْكَةِ وَقَوْمُ تُبَّعٍ بَلْ كَذَّبَ الرُّسُلُ فَحَقَّ وَعِيدٌ أَفَعَيِّنَا بِالْخَلْقِ الْأَوَّلِ بَلْ هُمْ فِي لَبْسٍ مِنْ خَلْقٍ جَدِيدٍ وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنْسَانَ وَنَعْلَمُ مَا نُوَسْوِسُ بِهِ وَنَعْلَمُ مَا تُوَسْوِسُ بِهِ نَفْسُهُ وَنَحْنُ أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ So, after the reference to creation as is classic Quranic style, time and again Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of the importance of reflecting upon history and reflecting upon history is an exercise in counter egoism that whatever civilization you see yourself living in the civilization that you've constructed, that gives you your sense of knowledge, sense of status, sense of prestige, in effectively gives you a culture of meaning. <coughs> Remember that so many civilizations before existed and went away in an endless cycle and that if you reflect upon this history, you realize that placing your value system on a civilizational reality, a cultural construct, is basing it on nothing. So, as often the Quran does, it references those people that earlier prophets wrestled with. Why? Because it's addressing Muhammad and reminding him that other prophets confronted disbelieving communities. The, 
the, their story ended up with often with the destruction of the communities that disbelieved. Not telling the Prophet whether his story is going to end up with the destruction of the Meccans or something else. And if you put yourself in that moment, it's, um, it's something that is worth you know, noting is that uh, Allah chose Sometimes Allah implies to the Prophet that he will in fact be victorious, which we'll get to. But quite often the Quran insists that this is the results are for Allah and for Allah alone, whether it is success or loss. The, the the groups here mentioned is Nuh, Ashabur, Ras, Thamud, Thamud, and as we've talked about the Ras before, this is the 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 people of the oasis, and there is a lot of disagreement as who that refers to. Ad, the 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 Egyptians of the Pharaoh um, and Moses, and Lot, Prophet Lot and his people. Qomutubba. Uh, Again, it's not. Uh, this is not the context to tell the 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 history or what we know about the history of these. But it's a very quick reference to past nations that refused to believe and met their fate, and then this this bil uh, al a rhetorical question. Is it conceivable that Allah tired or was exhausted or was spent or was um, uh, 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 in any way affected by the generations that came before so that you would be puzzled by the fact that the narrative of nations and people that will come and die and be resurrected is somehow a challenge to Allah or somehow something that would cause Allah any difficulty so that they, they they are puzzled or they are in a state of disbelief about resurrection especially. And then this ayah that and in Quranic style it starts and then it gives you examples and then it leads to penultimate statement that becomes among its most powerful normative impact. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ وَنَعْلَمُ مَا نُوَسْوِسُ بِهِ نَفْسُهُ مَا تُوَسْوِسُ بِهِ نَفْسُهُ وَنَحْنُ أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ We've created you and we know, Allah knows even what you tell yourself your thought processes the depth of your heart what yourself 
tells itself. And indeed, Allah is closer to you than your very jugular vein. You find, especially in the context of discussing the one-letter reference Qaf and the closeness of Allah or closer than a jugular vein, you find a great deal written in the Islamic tradition that is truly beautiful. But if I would summarize it, it goes something like this. There are people who do not at all feel Allah's closeness. It, you know, it, 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 your jugular vein, you are aware of it if you are exhausted, you run a lot, and you're grasping for air, or you put your finger to feel it. But other than that, although it is essential for your life, you pretty much go on your affairs of life oblivious to it. There are people who are not aware of Allah's presence with you every moment in this intimate way. And so the closeness of Allah in this intimate way can either be a source of, when people think about it, can either be a source of consternation and distress. So it's like nearly like an invasion of privacy. And because it is discomforting for someone who doesn't know Allah, for Allah to be so close, to penetrate the walls that you construct around yourself, to protect yourself. These are veils, veils upon veils, that you become uncomfortable and restless with the idea and therefore avoid thinking about it or confronting it. So you find a lot written about the lengths to which people go to to not be aware of Allah's closeness in this way. And those, the other type, the truly fortunate ones, who the idea of Allah being so close is a source of tranquility and comfort. The Allah being closer than the jugular vein is actually something that gives them repose. And a great deal of serenity. Let's take a two minute break. Okay.
ولقد خلقنا الإنسان ونعلم ما نوسوس به ما توسوس به نفسه ونحن أقرب إليه من حبل الوريد We said that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we've created you we know the secrets of your heart and we know what your very thought processes and the fact that Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein and we said that in Islamic literature you find a lot written about that there the are those that are find the idea of Allah being in full view of Allah in full view of their creator actually unsettling and because it is unsettling they avoid thinking about it but those who seek irtiqa or or what al-murtaqun those who seek to become fully aware of Allah's presence to have the consciousness of the divine being closer to them than their very jugular vein go through the process of irtiqa and what often in Sufi literature they say removal of hujub or the removal of the veils and there are of course you know you find many methodologies but basically it, it, they all go back to 12 levels of elevation that we talked about you work on truthfulness you work on your sense of tranquility you work on your sense of patience you work on your sense of benevolence you actively work on these moral qualities and as you elevate as you achieve your taqa the greatest Um, I don't I don't want to say accomplishment but it is um, it's like a, a revelation in a way the, the to, to become fully conscious of the presence of the divine with you wherever you go and wherever you are which is something that later surahs the Quran will emphasize that Allah is in fact with you and the reason the Quran then later on restates this and emphasizes this is that at the time that it was revealed particularly in Surah Qaf أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ there especially among the um, uh, those who did not belong to prominent tribes in Mecca, those who were slaves, those who were indentured servants, would go to the Prophet and say, even me, even me, Allah is closer to me than my jugular vein. 
And the Prophet would affirm this by saying there is no human being. There is no human being. Except that Allah is closer to them than their jugular vein. That is a, a reality, and it is just we either choose to be conscious of it or not conscious of it. So it was a revolutionary undermining of the logic of aristocracy that was firmly settled, not just in Meccan society, but in in. Persian Empire and the Byzantine Empire, everywhere you turned, there's a strict traffic stratification of human beings, the elite and the commoners. And the commoners simply were not worth as much as the elite, as human beings. Even our fairy tales, you know, stories like Cinderella or... Um, Sindabad or all the fairy tales. It's always focused on what becomes of the elite, the prince and the princess. And these are the people that matter, not the commoners who are cheering and so on. And so the idea that in fact for all human beings and with all human beings Allah is closer to them than their jugular vein um, as you would imagine, had very powerful reverberations. Okay. إذا يتلقى المتلقيان عن اليمين وعن الشمال قعيد ما يلفظ من قول إلا لديه رقيب عنيد This is now 17 and 18. My translation says, remember that the two receivers, recording angels, receive each human being, one sitting on the right and on the left, to note his or her actions. Not a word does he or she utter, but there is a watcher by him ready to record it. Okay. So, إذ يتلقى المتلقيان عن اليمين وعن الشمال قعيد ما يرفض من قول إلا لديه رقيب عديد. There is there is a I'll break down the the the, the discourses in the Islamic tradition about this in the following way. There are those who said that. And this is what you find in Ibn Kathir and a lot of the Ahlul Hadith uh, tafsirs, that there are in fact two angels assigned to every human being, one on the right, one on the left, carefully documenting their deeds. Everything they say, everything they do. In this context, they're often uh, referenced uh, hadith or traditions um, not necessarily of the highest reliability, but nevertheless, that whatever when you do something good, it's recorded immediately. When you do something bad, you are given a grace period to repent, to do istighfar. 
before it's recorded. So that the angel on the left refrains from recording your bad deeds, depending on the, 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 the tradition you read, refrains from recording it for seven hours, refrains from recording it for eight hours, some days, some reports said even seven days, um, to give you a chance to actually repent. And if you repent, it's not recorded. There are, within the Akhbari tafsirs, um, reports that say, no, it's not two angels, but it is a single angel that is assigned to every human being. And that it is the same angel that records on the right and records on the left. By the way, this is a uh, uh, among the most Sunnis when they end prayer, they say Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah, left and right. The, the Sunnis are saying Assalam to the two angels on the left and right. For in other schools of thought, the end prayer was takbir, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Typically the Jafaris, but also other schools of thought other than the Jafaris. Say that no, it's not that you're you're. There there are no two angels on the left or right, but there's a single angel, and that you are acknowledging the 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 record. You are acknowledging the kitab by the takbirs. So that there's no point of saying salam alaikum left or right because there are no two angels to the left or right, but that left and right refers to right deeds and wrong deeds recorded by St. Andrew. Now in this context there is, you find some really beautiful um, writings that are in our modern age are less commonly heard and less popularized and I'll give you an example, if I can find it, one second. Okay, so here's uh, an example. I'll, I'll just read in Arabic first and then I'll explain it. Um, so, we say, المتلقي قائل عن اليمين هو القوة العاقلة العملية المنتقشة بصور الأعمال الخيرية المرتسمة بأقوال الحسنة الصائبة وإنما قاد عن يمينه لأن اليمين هي الجهة القوية الشريفة المباركة وهي جهة النفس التي تلي الحق والمتلقي قاد عن الشمال هو القوة المتخيلة التي تنتقش بصور الأعمال البشرية البهيمية والسبعية والأراء الشيطانية الوهمية والأقوال الخبيثة الفاسدة وإنما قاد عن الشمال لأن الشمال وهي جهة الضعيفة الخسيسة المشؤومة وهي التي تلي البدن ولأن فطرة الفطرة الإنسانية خيرة بالذات خيرة بالذات لكونها من عالم الأنوار مقتضية بذاتها وغريزتها الخيرات والشرور إنما هي أمور عرضت لها من جهة البدن وآلاته وهيئاته يستولي صاحب اليمين على صاحب الشمال فكلما صدرت منه حسنة كتبها so here this is representative of a type of discourse that we find in Islamic 
tradition that says what is sitting on the right and sitting on the left are there, there, there is an angel that is charged with recording your sins, but what what the reference to the right and reference to the left are not references to angels at all. But they are references to a constructed reality. The, the belief was that Allah creates creation but that you in turn affect that creation with the power of your mind. And so your constructed reality, there are always options that are pure and good, a version of you that is option that uh, that is pure and good, and a version of you that is the opposite of that. And that this is symbolized by a version of you of the right and a version of you of the left. The best of you is the version that exists on the right. The worst of you is the version that exists on the left. So, you take Khalid. There is the Khalid that is doing the halaqa now, but there is the Khalid that doesn't want to do the halaqa now and would rather do something completely opposite of the halaqa, whatever the halaqa is. There is a version of you that is sitting in the halaqa wanting to come close to Allah, but also a version of you that resists that and that doesn't want to get close to Allah, but in fact draw closer to shaitan, the world of shaitan. And you are constantly making the choice to embrace the version, whether the version of purity and the version of impurity. And that the angel that is there is to record your choices between the two constructed realities that you are constantly choosing between. Now, this it matters a great deal because for the Sufis especially, and but not exclusively so, they believe that the heart and the mind and the soul affect the energy around you. And the energy around you affects the environment that you live in. If you are making the choice to go with the impure self, the environment you construct will be impure and it will invite demons into your life. So if I'm making the choice in this space to get drunk, to engage in sexual improprieties, to indulge my whims in hurting others, I am affecting the space in which I live in 
and in turn I am inviting if we in our modern language we say the energy where I'm inviting the energy that is going to be in the space and that energy is either going to welcome angels or going to welcome demons and it becomes a spiraling reality because if you pollute your space that has consequences and if you purify your space that has consequences and the angel assigned to you or the Hafiz, the watcher is constantly noting the choices that you make among the possibilities available to you and so in the hereafter you will be confronted by the options that confronted you and the possibilities that could have been and the choices you actually made. So either you're going to be told, oh, great news. You know, if you would have done X, Y, and Z, you could have ended up doing all these horrible things and then you're very relieved, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Or the opposite. You know, you've done these horrible things. If you would have chosen the pure path, this and this and this could have taken place in your life. And you say, oh my God, I really missed out. This type of analogy is, I mean, I, it's hard to, 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 to represent how much of the Islamic tradition builds and elaborates and studies and explores that. So, you know, when you find these modern people that often in the context of, you know, um, um, westernized Buddhism or, or uh, talking about energy fields and auras and, uh, and Muslims are completely absent from this discourse. It's just because they've forgotten this part of this tradition. They're, they're just not there. Except maybe, you know, if, if you belong to a, a Sufi tariqah that has a real Sufi master, they might be able to talk to you about these things. But it is fascinating. It's beautiful. So, that your Raqib, your watcher, the watchers as a class of angels, are firm and diligent and uncompromising in keeping of the record. The record is not to inform Allah, but to confront you with your accountability. But Allah already knows. So note here the way that the Quran, after having started out by, by telling you something about the Quran, about the revelation, and then taking you insisting Allah's absolute involvement in everything and then Allah's involvement in history itself and then Allah's closeness to you individually and then that every individual who lived on this earth had a watcher or watchers depending on what school of thought you accept 
whether the left and right or just one watcher. Then this extremely influential ayah, وَجَاءَتْ سَكْرَةُ الْمَوْتِ بِالْحَقِّ ذَلِكَ مَا كُنْتُ ما كنت منه تحيد Sakrat and Maut are the um, how does he translate this is um, 19 Might of Seer says and the stupor of death will come in truth this is what you have been avoiding Sakrat and Maut the 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 stupors and the it's like Sakrat and is literally when you are in a state where you are passing out and coming back to consciousness that moment of where you realize it is only a matter of time before I'm gone it's like when doctors I, I remember a close family friend and he had terminal care and the nurse came and said oh I I don't think he'll be alive by the time I come in the morning he's probably gonna pass out pass away tonight and I just kept looking at the man who I was very close to and someone I loved dearly and it's like all of us know that halas, it's over. It, it, there, there is no chance that this human being is coming back. And we're just waiting. Also, when, when Mahar Hathut passed away, because I, I was there on the, on the, the final day um, in the hospital, and it just, I was really, like, he was fully conscious, and, and he was just waiting for death. He was literally saying, yeah, I'm just waiting, and, and he died that night. That state of stupor, where you remember certain things in and out, and then Allah reminding us that, you know, this is what you've lived your life ignoring. But it will come. And what you will see in these moments, although the living will say they are hallucinations and you're, you're seeing things in your final moments, but in fact what you will see might be the, the reality that you're heading to, the truth. Um, I've had several very serious illnesses, and during these illnesses, when I was hospitalized, I would be, always be hospitalized, for some reason, subhanAllah, uh, in a room where next, the room, either next to me or the room next to that, someone is dying. And I would often hear them, and nurses, it, it, it seems to like be, because they're, they're, they, I would often hear them, talking and before they they passed away they they very loudly they're either c 
crying or like one woman kept saying, I want to go home, I want to go home. And then she would see things and she would say, leave me alone, leave me alone. No, I want to go home. And then eventually she passed that, she passed that night. Um, just so many. Every time I would be hospitalized, SubhanAllah, it's, it's like Allah was just sending messages through what I will ultimately confront and you will ultimately confront. And these moments, and if you are wise, if you are wise, you would say, Allah, meet me among those that when the intoxications of death, the stupors of death come, I will see only beauty. I will see angels that bring me comfort and tranquility. Like so many of the pious people that I know that passed away, including my mother, with a smile on her face. Not among those who are in a state of terror as they pass away. That's what breaks your heart when you see people in a state of terror because you know what they are seeing is terrifying and real. As much as we try to ignore the, that reality and say, oh, they're just hallucinating. ونفخ في الصور ذلك يوم الوعيد وجاءت كل نفس معها سائق وشهيد. Okay. So the trumpet ونفخ في الصور either the trumpet or an idiomatic expression that means the end has come. This is the promised day, and every soul, every soul that ever existed. This is 21, will come with a shahid, sa'ikhun wa shaheed. So he translated it, and every pencil will come forth along with an angel to drive them and an angel to bear witness. Now, this deserves pause because of, yes, in a lot of the khbari tafasir, that's exactly what you find that there will be an angel driving and an angel to bear witness. But I want to share with you a sample of what you find in this tradition and then I'll comment on it. Okay, so here, وَجَاءَتْ كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَعَهَا سَائِقٌ مِنْ عِلْمِهِ سَائِقٌ مِنْ عِلْمِهِ وَشَهِيدٌ مِنْ عَمَلِهِ لِأَنَّ كُلَّ أَحَدْ يَنْجَزِدْ إِلَى مَحَلِّ نَظَرِهِ وَمَخْتَارَهُ بِعِلْمِهِ والميل الذي يسوقه إلى ذلك الشيء إنما نشأ من شعوره بذلك الشيء وحكمة وحكمه بملاءمته له سواء كان أمرا سفليا جسمانيا بعثه عليه هواه وأغراه عليه وهمه وقواه أو أمرا علويا روحانيا بعثه عليه عقله ومحبته الروحانية وحرده عليه قلبه وفطرته الأصلية فالعلم الغالب عليه سائقه إلى معلومه وشاهده بالميل الغالب عليه والحب الراسخ فيه والعمل المكتوب في صحيفته 
يشهد عليه بظهوره على صور أعضائه وجوارحه وينطق عليه بكتابه كتابه بالحق وجوارحه بهيئات أعضائه المتشكلة بأعماله. This representative passage is for an entire school of thought that says Sa'ak wa Shaheed is not an angel that is driving you and an angel that is bearing witness. But in fact, your very resurrection is constructed by a vision of your deeds. So, to put it simply, if your deeds are very beautiful, you're going to be resurrected as a very beautiful being. If your deeds are ugly, you're going to be resurrected as a very ugly being. But furthermore, there's a going to be construct, a construct of the best of you and the worst of you. One of them is going to drive you and the other is going to bear witness against you. So if you lived your life driven by a passion for the love of Allah, your sa'iq will be the construct of that love, the passion that drove you in your life. And the other the alternative, the inferior part, will bear witness to its failure. Alternatively, if you've lived your life obsessed with yourself, with fulfilling your base needs, with basically material life, what that will be what drives you in the hereafter, the construct of that and that will bear witness is the alternative of the purity of you that unfortunately was not achieved it's sort of like lamenting what could have been it's a we don't normally in, in have noticed in the modern age we don't even expose our children to that although my understanding of Sa'akun wa Shaheed is not at all that there will be an angel driving you and an angel bearing witness to you. I think that's not what the Quran is talking about. I think what is far closer to the truth is that in fact you will be driven by the passions that led you in life. And the Shaheed is the record of the truth of your conduct, of, of actually what you've done in life. You can read so much more about this, but in the interest of time, I'm not gonna, but it just, it's, um, now why is all of this important? Because it's leading to a very powerful statement that has driven Islamic spirituality through the centuries. So, it's like saying, now you, you've lived 
struggling with the reality of death. You've most of the time tried to not think about it or to ignore it or to live wishfully. But then it comes and the stupors of death, you start seeing the truth. As you're dying, you're seeing glimpses of what will be the truth that you've and in the hereafter, it's all present. You will, in fact, if what drove you was pure and good, that's what's going to be driving your path in the hereafter. And what, if what drove you was base and low, that's what's going to be driving you, leading you literally like taking the wheel in the hereafter لقد كنت في غفلة من هذا فكشفنا عنا غطاءك فبصرك اليوم حديد this ayah 22 had a huge impact on Islamic spirituality It is present in every mystical treatise. It is in present in every theological treatise. It is present in every movement towards Intertika. You've lived your life in a state of ignorance. Now we lift the veil. So you're now you see the reality in its absolute ironclad truth. There are no more veils, there are no more deceptions, there are no more constructs, there are no more lies. Now you are confronted with the absoluteness. It's like now you see all, and you see it fully, and you see it accurately, with 100% precision. So, if you sum up all the spiritual movements in Islam, it is not an exaggeration to say that all the spiritual movements in Islam seek to lift the veil in life before death. So, if you are studying, for instance, with a Sufi master, will say, our goal is for you to reach the point where your basar, your insight, basar is not just here, the, the, what you see with your eyes, but you see what, with your heart and mind reaches the point of precision like it's ironclad. So you see things for their truth. I remember some of the people that said things that, you know, st stuck in my, in, in, in my memory.
It says that when you look at, you know, would hold like a fruit and say, when you look at a fruit, what do you see? And then we start talking about, well, what do you see, like an like an orange or a banana or an apple? That how what you see is affected by your subjective state. If you're hungry, if you've never had an apple because you couldn't afford it, if you eat apples all the time, so it's no big deal. If and you go through like this whole thing about how. In fact, to say it's just a fruit is saying very little. But to actually explore what it, the, the, all the ways that you can see this one apple is to say a lot. And then come and say, well, what if all you see is that it is a gift and a miracle from Allah? All the specifics of this apple, the seed, the actual texture of the apple, the actual skin of the apple, that the, the, the specifics is a miracle of Allah. And to get to the point that the miraculous aspects of this fruit engage you far more than your hunger. That's the way it was explained to me. And I have met people that absolutely that was the case with them. I don't claim that I'm like that. God, you know, I mean, I, I don't claim that type of honor. But I've met people that I truly felt when you give them something to eat, they weren't eating it. To they were. It became an instrument of prayer as they ate it. And so when they would say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, you truly felt their gratitude. And when they said, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, you truly felt. And one of them, especially, I would feel that he is nearly apologizing for every fruit he ate, for having to consume it to sustain himself. It was truly remarkable. He wouldn't say, I'm sorry, I'm eating you. But the way he related to Nama was spectacular it was just the, the 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 lights that emitted from from this man as he was presented with any nama uh, i will never forget that we once went and got abaya and but it was an expensive abaya we we all chipped in and we wanted to because we noticed that he had two abayas, and the abaya that always, he always wore was worn out and had little holes and so on. So we went to chip in butt with it. And then when we gave it to him, he cried. Never forget that. 
it, it just, uh, not, not because he was happy to get it. He said, why, why do you put this fitna upon me? And we were all like stumped, like, okay, you know, this, this new abaya, he considered it a fitna. And that now he has to develop a relationship with the abaya where it doesn't elevate his ego. Um, when he passed away, um, he passed away that summer. I mean, it was actually shortly after we gave him the abaya, which is a few weeks. And like my mother, when I saw his body after it was washed, he was he's smiling and there was a perfume emitting from that body. I know the washers because I, I was, they, didn't, they, they don't use perfume at all. You don't do that when you wash a body. But, There is real beauty in life, if you seek it. Some just, the, the فَبَصَرُكَ الْيَوْمُ حَدِيمُ Surah Qaf is wedded to the realization that Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein. And that was true perception. You would see Allah, or you would know, you would fully be conscious of the fact that Allah is closer to you than your regular veil. وَقَالَ قَرِينُهُ هَذَا مَا لَدَيَّ عَتِيدٌ Here we get into the issue of the Qareen. Remember that the Quran says that whoever that whoever neglects our dhikr, they will have a Qareen and the Qareen will be a shaitan. There are hadiths that talk about every human being has a Qareen, but I don't want to get into this hadith now. The, the, let's just stay with the, the Quranic verse. So those Qareen here could mean that you appear in the hereafter with your demonic Qareen that has, that has you've invited in your life and as the Qur'an often represents, the Qareen will disavow responsibility for what you've done in your life. And say, all I've done was suggest things, but it was their choice. I didn't force them to do anything. And the Qareen, means that this human being that I've accompanied in their evil deeds in life, in fact, was determined to not be good. 
Others have said that the Qur'an here refers to those com you, the company you've kept that were a part of your social influences in committing misdeeds. And that when in the hereafter you and your company meet in hellfire, there is another view that is often not represented in the modern age where, and you find this in like um, uh, Tafsir um, Ismail Haqqi and others who says that Al-Qareen Shaytanul Wahm فهذه المقولات كلها معنوية that the Qareen is not an actual demon in this context and not your partners but Shaytanul Wahm the demon of your delusions it's as if again that same idea that your your let's use our modern language your negative energy becomes like a construct that actually testifies against you in the hereafter the energy that you've infected the world with that dark negative energy of misdeeds will actually manifest and testify against you in the hereafter. So if we sum them up, there are three views. That is your social company, that you, the, the company you kept, that it is an actual demon, and that it is a construct of your evil, your delusional self that led you into hellfire. I have to tell you that I tend to be among a, a follower of the second school that actually believes it's an actual demon. And, you know, I don't want to scare people because I know that this topic unsettles a lot of people. But my experiences in life has, and my studies have convinced me that you commit enough evil in your life, I don't under, fully understand why demons like that, but you invite a demon to become your companion. And demons seem to be attracted to the energy of people that do horrible things. And they seem to thrive on that energy. They seem to love to live like parasites. Um, the more horrible things you do, the more anger, the more pain, the more hurt, the more they feed. And so in my, and I might be wrong, Allah Alam, I'm just telling you what, what I, or the persuasions and convictions that I've drawn into. And that in the hereafter, that these demons will in fact testify against um, you. can adopt the first school, that it's a social company you keep. You can adopt the school that I follow. 
or you can adopt the third school that it is actually a construct of your own evil delusions. In all, it's not a very pretty picture because in all, at that point, um, note the sense of loneliness and abandonment in confronting your deals, your deeds, as an individual. أَلْقِيَ فِي جَهَنَّمْ كُلَّ كَفَّارٍ عَنِيدٍ مَنَّاعٍ لِلْخَيِّ مُعْتَدٍ مُرِيدٍ الَّذِي جَعْلَ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخَرْ فَالْقِيَاهُ فِي الْعَزَابِ الشَّدِيدِ قال قرينه ربنا ما أضغيته ولكن كان في ضلال بعيد The music of these words is unbelievable قال لا تختصموا لدي وقد قدمت إليكم بالوعيد ما يبدل القول لدي وما أنا بظلام للعبيد يوم نقول لجهنم هل امتلأت وتقول هل من مزيد The imagery and the music is incredible. So, Allah comments on this by saying it to an unspecified, it could be the angels, likely it is the, 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 the guardians who, but it's basically cast into hellfire that who stubbornly denied. This is worth a bit of a pause. In addition to that who lived is someone who it is not it is an attitude where you don't feel you don't actively participate in the in the distribution and the creation of goodness in life so, is someone um, who, for instance, would think of the homeless and say, well, why help them? Think of the ill and say, well, why take care of them? Why should it be my responsibility? Well, you know, aren't they losers? If thinks of the starving and say, well, why should it be up to me to feed them? That's a manna'al al-khayr. It's mu'tadin murid. What is the mu'tadin? Why are they aggressors? And why are they murid? It is because they constantly doubt that it is the right of others to receive their due. That's their aggression. Their attitude is one of, no, 
I don't want to see people taken care of. I think it's not, it shouldn't be my responsibility, it shouldn't be my friend's responsibility, it shouldn't be my family's responsibility. Either it's someone else's responsibility or it's no one's responsibility. Who made with God another God. Obviously, if you were, if you worship an idol, you, you have a, you've worshipped, you've made with God as another God. But as nearly every, uh, every slightly spiritual tafsir even will tell you that this includes those who lived worshipping their ego. Remember in Surah At-Tawr or At-Tawr that those who've made their God their hawa, jala ilaha that those who've made their God their whims, they're included with this as well. That you've, yeah, you didn't worship an idol, but ultimately your frame of reference, your, your deity, your, your supreme being was self-referential. It was always you. قَالَ قَرِينُهُ رَبَّنَا مَا أَضْغَيْتَهُ وَلَكِنْ كَانَ فِي ضَلَالٍ Returning to that same theme that the Qareen, and we talked about the, the, the possibilities of who the Qareen is, that the Qareen at this point would say, it is not me, it is not my responsibility, it is, there is no mitigation to your accountability and your fault, because ultimately, according to the testimony of that Qareen, Ultimately, it was your decision. You've chose between the possible selves for good or bad. And then this, again, and, and if you want Irtiqa, visualize the images in the same way that when we are children, we learn reality by visualizing the images through stories that we're told as children. And as we grow up, we visualize things, but we visual, no longer do we visualize, you know, fairy tales, but we visualize things like a fancy car, how a nice home would look, how a good-looking partner would look, someone we're attracted to. We visualize. We're always visualizing. Get accustomed to visualizing the Qur'an if you want irtiqa'. Break the habit of visualizing only what your ego demands. Get into the habit of visualizing what your higher self could covet. Your lower self, your base self, already visualizes all the time. Just think about it and you'll see it. All the time. The furniture, the material possessions, the clothes you wear, the, the people you're with, how you impress people, what doesn't impress people. You're visualizing all the time. 
have the higher self visualize. And then if it does, you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter saying, don't argue before me. There's no point now. Don't argue before me because I've warned you and you've made your choice. Incidentally, in, in theological works, this is this is the part where you often find these discussions about that Allah's punishment cannot come without wa'id first. So only those who've been warned, who've received notice, will be held accountable. But what if you haven't received notice? And that imagery, again, that we encountered the Surah Al-Tawr or Al-Tawr, that hellfire is not just fire, but it's like an actual being. And Allah, in this construct, speaks to hellfire and says, have you had enough? And says, no, I, I'm, I'm, bring me more. And again, for the school of thought that said that hellfire is nothing like what we know like in our reality, that fire is not the fire we know in this earth, often refer to verses like this. And so hellfire is something we have not encountered before. We simply don't know what it is, but it is a representation of the absolute consequences of our actions with all the the the, the pain that that could represent وَأُزْلِفَتِ الْجَنَّةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ غَيْرَ بَعِيدٌ always when the Quran talks about hell the Quran will always follow it with the good news about Jannah. So, Jannah is in the same way that Hellfire is receiving, Jannah is welcoming. هَذَا مَا تُوْعَدُونَ لِكُلِّ أَوَّابٍ حَفِيظٍ مَنْ خَشِيَ الرَّحْمَانَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَجَاءَ بِقَلْبٍ مُنِيبٍ the language is incredible. The music is unbelievable. هَذَا مَا تُعَدُونَ لِكُلِّ أَوَّابٍ حَفِيظٍ This is 32 and 33. مَنْ خَشِيَ الرَّحْمَانَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَجَاءَ بِقَلْبِ الْمُنِيبِ Okay. This is what has been promised. The reward. لِكُلِّ أَوَّابٍ حَفِيظٍ مَنْ خَشِيَ الرَّحْمَانَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَجَاءَ بِقَلْبٍ مُنِيبٍ So, that who is ever conscious of the Rahman and notice that Allah chooses the name Rahman here that Allah, you live conscientious of the truth of the Rahman بِالْغَيْبِ that as a premise you've accepted in your life that there is not just the seen world, the material world, but the unseen world. 
Because if you're not willing to concede that, if the realm of your consciousness is only the material world, then you've got a very, very hard path. Allah is not attainable unless you believe in the unseen. Just because you don't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. So, but, وَكُلَّ أَوَّابٍ حَفِيظٍ وَجَاءَ بِقَلْبٍ مُنِيبٍ These two. What is the nature of this human being? The nature of this human being a web is someone who every time they go wrong, they come back. Someone who constantly returns, that's an a web. That as difficult as the past might have been, and as many ups and downs it might have, have been in that past, and as many times have you've gone wrong and come back, but ultimately, the heart that you bring to before your Lord is a humbled and repentant heart. Now, no, the, as so many in in. You could read so many beautiful passages written in commentary about this that the imagery drawn of the heart that comes to the Lord, that the Lord welcomes here, that the Rahman welcomes, is not a heart that knew it all, is not a heart that was always at the highest sphere of irtiqa and purity, but is a heart that struggled. but struggled but always longed for the right thing. And this Quranic expression which became again had a huge impact on Islamic culture enter in peace. Whatever you desire is easy for Allah to meet. For the bounties of your Lord never end. This is 34 and 35. It salam is um, in... I don't know if it's still the practice, but you would often find people that will hang a sign above their doors, say, enter in peace. Um, if you've grown up in Muslim houses, especially traditional homes, where people care a great deal, uh, you know, they, they, they always ha um, burn incense, uh, um, to purify the air, it's especially again in traditional homes, 
and they are very meticulous and you know the idea if, if someone brings alcohol in their home it, it, it's the end of the world they have to wash the home all over again and purify it with incense and read Quran and so on it's that the idea of space being inhabited by Salam became very powerful in Islamic culture at least until the influences of modernity because of course in urbanized cosmopolitan centers you know in Cairo and in Damascus and whatever you, you don't find you find people very much westernized and they do all type of miserable things to the space that they live in um, but if you study traditional culture, you're always impacted by how that book influenced the material culture that grew out of it. And it was one of these simple statements that have had a great impact. Okay, let's take a two minute break here. And is it Maghreb time? What's Maghreb? Okay, so let's pray Maghrib. We'll pray Maghrib. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. وَكَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبْلَهُمْ مِنْ قَرْنٍ هُمْ أَشَدُّ مِنْهُمْ بَطْشًا فَنَوْقَبُوا فِي الْبِلَادِ هَلْ مِنْ مَحِيصٍ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَى لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ أَوْ أَلْقَى السَّمْعَ وَهُوَ شَهِيدٌ This is now we are at 36 and 37. Surah Qaf then takes us back to a quick reference to history again and how many a generation we have destroyed before them who were stronger in power and and when our torment came um, uh, they ran for refuge in the land could they find any place of refuge for them to save themselves from destruction um, how many a generation that were stronger before them? Anakna doesn't even necessarily mean destroyed, but that we've either destroyed or caused to disintegrate. Halak could be both. Halmin Mahis could anything have saved them from, their, from the fate set for them. Allah's ultimate power over whatever nations rise and fall in history. But then, Again, the language is amazing. A reminder for Whomever has a heart
And whoever listens carefully, wahua shahid, with a full intent to bear witness. So remember again the beginning that this is Surat Qaf, which was often described as Surat Al Qalb, the, the, the Surah of the Heart. And the Surah takes us, weaves this narrative you know, of creation, of past nations, of the moment of death, of the, the, the moment when our sight becomes unmistakable. We see the truth of everything as it is. To the ultimate accountability, to elements in Alam al-Ghaim, in the elements in the world of the unseen, which affect us, and we affect it, because we affect the world of the unseen as well, obviously. And then goes back to the heart, and ultimately says, consult or go back to your heart. Does your heart see do you want your heart to see? This, this surah is a warning. This surah talks to those who have a heart that wants to see. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامٍ وَمَا مَسْتَنَا مِنْ لُغُوبٍ This is 38. We've created the heavens and earth, and as we said before, سِتَّةِ أَيَّامٍ in the context of the time before time, days were not, these are not earthly days, obviously. So أَيَّام, أَلْيَيْم, or أَلْيَوْم, could refer to periods. So we've created the heavens and earth in six periods or six stages or six unearthly days. And the Mamama Salam al is a reference to the Jewish claim of that God rested on the sixth day and a direct negation of of the idea that the Saturday is a day of rest because the Lord rested, which is the Sabbath, obviously, for for Jews. This these two verses. 39 and 40 are the dhikr for Surah Qaf. So ultimately, what is your interactive mode? If your heart is in the right place, and if you want the right thing, and if you want the journey of Qaf, the journey of Irtiqa'il uh, Qunub, of the elevation of the heart, 
so that you become aware that Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein and so you can see your sight becomes like iron but not in the hereafter but in the here now and so that you can understand the truth about the nature of the movement of history and movement of society what is the remedy that Allah gives to the Prophet and through the Prophet to us persevere فَصْبِرْ عَلَى مَا يَقُولُونَ you know that this will be all be met with denial as the beginning of Surah Qaf tells us and disbelief and your basic attitude is patience and perseverance and the reference by then of course Salah has already been the the the, the final Salah with Isra al-Maraj it's finalized in Isra al-Maraj but the form of Salah although not the five prayers um, where so Muslims new ruku'ah new sujood but Salah has not been finalized in its final form that we have today until the Isra al-Maraj but Surah Qaf says, in addition to sab, the constant reference to Sabbih bihamdi rabbik, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. That's the Sabbih bihamdi rabbik. When you say, when you keep repeating Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Qabla tulu'i shams wa qabla al-ghurub. So before sunrise and before sundown, wa man al-layli sabbihu wa ibarat sujood. And the tasbih should also be in the night. Of course, later commentators said that this is reference to specific prayers, but I don't think that the reference to Maghrib prayers, to Isha prayers, to, and so on, but I don't think that we, we need to limit it to the specific prayers. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, basically the cycle of the day is permeated with your relationship with Allah and the process of tasbih. So if you are at sunrise and at sundown and at night, this pretty much is throughout. You claim the, 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 the cycle of the day and transform it into divine time. Because Allah is permeated throughout, throughout of it. واستمع يوم ينادي المناد من مكان قريب يوم يسمعون الصيحة بالحق ذلك يوم الخروج إن نحن نحي ونميت وإلينا المصير and listen it's like a wait when you say listen to the day that the call comes near you from it says it's like a wait for the day that the call will be undeniable and unmistakable. The day when they hear the final call in truth, 
Yeah, it is unmistakable. It, 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 it is inevitable. And that is the day of the resurrection. For we will bring back the dead, and to us is the fate of all. Whatever you think, you will return from Allah to Allah. يَوْمَ تَشَقَّقُ الْأَرْضُ عَنْهُمْ سُرَاعًا ذَلِكَ حَشْرٌ عَلَيْنَا يَسِيرٌ The day when the earth shall be cleft from off them and they will come out hastening forth that will be a gathering quite easy for us. The day that they will emerge from the earth سِرَاعًا in, in, in great speed. And Allah, the constant reminder that this is not an issue for Allah. This is not a big task for Allah. This is alayna yaseer. It's an easy task for us. Nahnu a'lamu bima yaqulun wa ma anta alayhim bijabbar fadhakkir bilqur'ani man yakhafu wa'id. This is again another one of these ayahs that affected Muslim cultures significantly. Allah reminds the Prophet and through the Prophet us that Allah knows all the denials, all the resistance, all the stubborn refusal to accept the message. And as the Qur'an throughout will remind in Mecca and Medina period, because for those who say that this was abrogated by the, the, the sword, the, I have to say for the, the, the verse, the, the sword verse, uh, we'll get to that inshallah, but that's nonsense. I mean, that's just absolute nonsense. That, remember, you, Muhammad, and through you, us. You, you have no authority over them. You don't control them. You can't force them. Your only recourse is patience and remembrance. And if you get frustrated, go to tasbih. But there is nothing else that you can do. And this is why... The idea of coercion in an Islamic state, for me, the idea of coercion in an Islamic state is heretical. Because the number of times the Quran reminds again and again, this is not the role of the message to coerce. It is but a remembrance for those who are open. Those who are open to fear the promise.
if you are already closed, you refuse to listen, you don't want to hear anything, the Quran is not going to do anything for you. You, you, you already worship a God. Your God is your ego, yourself. You're closed. So all we can do is say, Salam, peace, go. But if you are struggling with your ego, so you are willing to accept a message that promises you What's the promise? The promise is the promise of accountability. And the promise that the world that you dwell in, the world of the seen, is not everything. But there is a whole world of the ghaib. And the world of the ghaib has watchers that watch you and record what you do. And the world of the ghaib also has very um, harmful parasites demons that could latch onto you and could cause a lot of damage to your life. And the world of the ghaib is the world of accountability. And that throughout that world, Allah is ever present with you every moment. So then, be conscious. But look at what Surah Qaf also does. Because this is what Surah Qaf represented for the early Muslims. That it invoked your heart and basically said you could grow with this Quran, the Irtiqat, you could elevate with this Quran, you could reach heights with this Quran. Or you could refuse to listen and this Qur'an leaves you behind. But it is all anchored in whether you realize that Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein and whether you are willing to accept that the means of uh, to Allah is سَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ is that zikr, that zikr you engage in in a constant in the constant cycle of the day, at sunrise, at sound at sundown, long into the night. If you are not willing to adopt that venue, if basically you say, yeah, okay, I yeah, Allah is right closer to my juggling ring, but I don't have time for tasbih, or I don't have patience for tasbih then you need a miracle. You need a miracle to feel the presence of Allah to you closer to your judgment of him. Finally, in the Islamic literature you find those who say that Surat Qaf was the beginning of the idea of Irtiqa, that first we as we will see inshallah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the followers of the Prophet والسلام, that remembrance of Allah long into the night 
is a venue that you need. But then the Quran, as it goes on, adds layers and elements to the relationship to the divine. And Surah Qaf visualizes the divine, not as some remote deity, far away, either leading battles with fellow deities or uh, loving you from afar or, you know, sending an, an ultimate act of sacrifice, and, but an actual engaged deity. So many of the, especially the, the, the school of mysticism that said that Allah, and not just mystics, to be honest, but that Allah recreates the world every instant so that it is not just that Allah creates things and sets them in motion and leaves them, but that Allah is actually engaged in, is, is the support of the world in an active process of recreation every instant. I mean, we'll, we'll come back to that view because it gets very complicated later. But that's Surah Qaf in all its majestic power. Alhamdulillah.